Why can't anyone put a fucking Genesis out on time? Welcome to Game of Notes, a weekly podcast on the cosmos from independent validator teams. Yeah, hello, well, <laughs> nailed it. Nodes, <laughs> a uh, weekly podcast on the cosmos from independent validator teams, um, and. What are we going to talk about this week now? Uh, probably Usurper. I'm, I'm, my brain's fried from not being awake, so I'm only a, a question answerer today, not a so leader. The, ba- the, background to this, the background to this is actually going to be relevant to the topic we are going to be talking about, um, which is that Evmos have just restarted. I'm not a validator, and uh, Needlecast don't validate Evmos, but we've just uh, it's just restarted, right? And it yeah. is, was very early your time now, right? Yeah, so it's two days in a row of like 2 a.m. We had a dry run uh, previous day on my uh, Wednesday and then the mainnet this morning, which is my Thursday, uh, both at 2 a.m. So then I had a full day after those and I'm a little bit tired. I mean, actually, the dry run might have been later in the day, like three or four. I can't remember. They're all The days are all becoming one. <laughs> nice. As they should be for a validator. Why even have calendar? Mm-hmm. Throw it away. Throw yeah, away. I mean, it's not like we need like a break or something after after Prop Sleep. 16, and 17, and 18, and 19. <laughs> who, needs, who, needs, uh, who needs rest and recreation? Okay. Yeah. I mean, to be fair as well, in that time, there have been, what, two Stargaze upgrades as well, I was thinking about, you know, in terms of just like chain, chains that have Cosmwasm and therefore have the same security cadence, it adds up mm-hmm. to a lot of chain upgrades, um, which again... Put a pin in that. Put a pin in that because we will be coming right. to that later in the episode, right, Usurper? That's right. Yeah, we had, we had a couple of things to follow up on um, just from previous weeks. We want to change the format a little bit and and make sure that we're responding to questions that come up both in in Twitter and also on YouTube, and make sure that we're bringing those forward on future episodes. We did want to talk a little bit today about um, some chain halts in the cosmos because we're kind of seeing a lot of um, I don't know a lot of halts, but maybe a lot of noise around pauses and things like that. So I think we talk about that. And we have a couple few good questions for Ask Game of Nodes. We need to come up with an acronym for that. Maybe Ask On. <laughs> ask On. <laughs> ask, ask On. Something. Yeah. So those. That's uh, that should be it. Yeah. Cool. Um, so we we we're abandoning the stupidest shit we've seen in Cosmos this week because we felt it was a bit too negative, and we need some more positivity. Um, so instead, we we're, we're gonna have we're gonna talk a little bit about uh stuff that's happening at right. the moment um and to kick it off on a positive note we 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 obviously all talk about what music we're listening to and we we actually talked to i think this was maybe off the back of the conversation with shane and sisler in the previous episode where we were uh you know asking what they listen to when they're working and stuff like that and i i think whisper uh sorry uh ghost was shouting out no taker right and that's then yeah. gone up to be rotation i think for the entire crew it's on rotation for me all weekend. <laughs> yeah, Just I mean, apart from, the entire apart, playlist of No Taker. Yeah, apart from apart from like you know, I think there's I think there's a strong progressive rock degening going on between me and Usurper, but um, mm-hmm. there is. And there was but, some. Yeah, yeah well, I've actually been like, hitting those bands as well. I've been developing a bit of a playlist. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't notice the didgeridoo in the Australian progressive rock, did you? So there was another song that started off with didgeridoo, but I didn't notice this one that was at the end of a song. But to be fair, I was like 
listening to this while I was doing work. So I wasn't fully concentrating on it. Or, or it could have been coming from outside, right? Maybe just outside the window. Yeah, yeah. People just yeah. walk around there with over there with the redos. Pretty well. Uh, well, I'm in a cul-de-sac, so it'd be unusual. Maybe <laughs> out on the main road, just circling. You know, the thing that really shitted <laughs> me about Australia was just the fact that there are you can just like walk into a field and there's just like a hundred wallabies, and you're like, <laughs> okay, like, well, like <laughs> why like do we keep? It's like sheep or something, you know, like or like you know, kind of the north of England, right? You, you go to the hills, there's just a field full of sheep, and you go to Australia, and you just like there's a field full of wallabies, and you're like, holy shit! There's like, you just walk in there and just like with a bag and just a net or something, and just collect collect the fuckers up if you, yeah, you know, if you're so inclined. It feels what? like I don't know how quick they are. Have you ever what? caught a wallaby, Nell? Oh. I think he's out. He's frozen. Oh, he's frozen. That's <laughs> <laughs> the question. It's too heavy duty. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's interesting that no matter who's on this podcast, somehow it comes back to Australian culture. It's, it's it, there's always that topic. We should just put it in the topic because it's always like a didgeridoo comes up or a wallaby comes up or something comes up. But, but is Australian that's Australian wildlife, not Australian culture. I was trying to be nice, but yeah, what what <laughs> it's it's a mix of different Australian things. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've no taker has been very heavy this week. And then I guess we want to also have a little bit of talk about um, uh, the Juno upgrade that's coming, right? Because uh, Prop 20 is now happening after all those props you knew and loved 17, 18, 19. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, uh, maybe to give an update for, for everyone who's not following this as much as we are, anybody want to take a shot? And, uh, and 16, you, 17, you want to give a try and explain what's happening now? <laughs> don't want to do that. <laughs> I mean, so I I read a tweet by uh, the whale the other day that I was curious about. Isn't it normal for a binary to be assigned to an upgrade rather than kind of like the binary being created after the upgrade is assigned? I didn't know you could do that. I thought that they were like bound together one to one. No, it's no, just a tag. No, right? Just a tag. Yeah, it's just a mm -hmm. tag. So the the binary exists, but it uh, is dependent on like yeah, it, it has to it will run the thing that it's called, but it it as long as it's the same name. Fred, that's works. a well, that, well, actually, only a, isn't that only a Cosmovisor type of thing that it's calling out? There's nothing actually in the binary with that name. There's in nothing there, in the binary. Yeah, you can just halt so, and switch over because that's what we did for security patches, right? Right. The, yeah. Yeah. So. There's no there's no connection between the binary and the actual um, no it's just like you can put any binary in there it just won't anyway. agree with everyone else so it's got to be right. coordinated yeah but exactly. the the only thing that the the prop with the software upgrade the only thing that's related to actually upgrading is the directory that you put the binary in with Cosmovisor if they're using that that's, right. that's the only thing. Okay. So you can have you yeah, can say in the because it emits the upgrade info.json, which is the output of the governance um yeah. port height. And I would so you, you you could technically like have your upgrade and in your upgrade proposal say you're going to version three and then separately agree with all of the validators to go to version twenty-eight and well, I guess to know. clarify a little bit, I think it's more significant to me that the smart contract isn't actually merged yet. Right? Isn't that uh, true? You know that's bullshit. It, oh, is it bullshit? Yeah, it's available. 
it's 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 like that it was not live for a grand total of about 10 seconds because um i think i didn't have admin privileges on the repo in the juno organization to make it live and so just had to wait for somebody who had admin privileges to wake up um because it was like guys this link's dead (laughs) can we just like make the link undead please um so yeah yeah, there was there. Were, it is true that the contract wasn't um, publicly available before the prop went live, um, but obviously, like we wrote up a blog post about it, and uh, the design was the same as on the original Unity prop thread, and blah 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 blah. So, right. um, in that sense, nothing's really changed about that, other than the code was written to conform to the Unity prop, and then. It was audited and then some more unit tests have been added as well just after the uh, tag that's mentioned. So in the um, in the text that's on chain, it specifically references a git commit um, mm. on the repo. So it's like really specifically, this is the this is the tag and the binary and it has a, um, a wasm blob and a checksum. So uh the governance proposal is pretty specific about you know unless there's a huge security hole in this that's discovered between prop and hypothetically it being launched this is the one that is expected to run um got it but yeah it wasn't public before that just because it it, it wasn't basically um i think it was more of a too many cooks type situation because there were <clears throat> A lot of feelings on this one, and a lot of people, and a lot of noise, and the difficulty of finding people who are just going to implement a thing. Because, um, you know, it's all open source. Again, the thing with the Unity Prop is it's, it's just an open source smart contract. It can be used to arbitrate between any parties, um, and it just kind of needed to be done and and then like checked over and stuff and so it was just one of those things that was done so like obviously we we did like a lot of work on it and we're against the burn right but it is kind of pretty clear i think to us at the very least and obviously jabby who did a lot of the work on the upgrade side and also on the testing is also against the burn you know Mm -hmm. uh but it's kind of back to I, I think we were talking about this with economic incentives and whatnot like a few weeks ago on the show when we were talking about um the original drama which is that if you hold enough juno tokens and you think they might be at risk of being confiscated your your optimal strategy is probably to stall right until the because if the token goes to zero you lose nothing if you lose more you lose nothing or you lose the same amount you know yeah mm-hmm. um so in terms of breaking the impasse, that's kind of, I think, both... I, I can't obviously speak for Jabby, who is currently, I believe, in the Jabby wagon, but will be joining us in a few minutes' time. Um, I think that was kind of both of our interest in helping out with this piece of work, is that there are only so many devs in the junior organization. Um, there's only so many that can help to ship this particular problem. And, you know, it, it's kind of clear that something needs to happen. So even if we don't agree with all of the potential options on the table like it's kind of hard to see how we can move forward you know right absolutely um, yeah so so yeah that's so that anyway that's the essence of it i and yeah so it was one of those where all the devs on the project i think in the github organization could see it during the process it was being built but 
we forgot yeah. to make it public when we when the first thing went on chain. So um ultimate tease. No, uh we, we've not te- we're not teasing anything. We're talking about the Unity Prop smart contract at the moment. Um so yeah, so that's where we're up to with that. What what else needs to be covered? You'll see. Because I sorry, I interrupted you a little bit there. I mean, I think that's really the big thing is that Unity Prop is is a software upgrade that basically takes the funds from the whale and puts it in the smart contract. That's the summary of it, essentially. Um, I suppose I have a few questions around upgrade uh, the next the next prop upgrade twenty. Um, like, will there be more security patches in it, or is it specifically for initiating Unity? But that's kind of neither here nor there. It, it has a, a a RC version of a Cosmosm change in it, uh, which is tagged Junity um, for Juno Unity, uh, which is our submitted fix for the um, Cosmosm pseudo bug that we found. Um, but it's not a security. No, there's no security <laughs> element of that. Um, but obviously we did do the security patch last week, which I think a lot of people didn't even notice we did, um, which was uh, a Muslim security bug. That's a different mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> okay. So in the, 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 this proposal ends on the 29th. So we still have a couple days, right? And then the, I think the upgrade block is, is farther out, right? We're early May or something similar to that, if I remember doing the math. Yeah, fourth. fourth. Yeah, uh, and we were talking. We were also talking separately that obviously we're there's some controls here around. There's not enough time, obviously, to do undelegations and those types of things. There are some questions about what might happen to anything that's liquid or might be rewards and those type of you know outstanding rewards. But that it that's just it is what it is, right? There's there's no controls over that, and there's nothing similar to be able to do that between now by the time that. Um, upgrade block hits which looks like it's just about a week six days and 17 hours from now yeah so because the, i mean there's a lot of things that are going on with this this upgrade it's particularly hairy um particularly controversial i guess mm-hmm. um but the the key the the key thing is that yeah is essentially having enough time that we knew we could um get everything in place to actually do the upgrade Mm-hmm. And also, crucially, have enough time to back out of the upgrade if we needed to. So, something that isn't very often done is a cancel software up, so cancel software upgrade proposal, um, which can stop an upgrade from happening. It means you can just no op it. Um, and although we've obviously tested it, we're also rolling unit uh, uni forward um, because you know obviously that's testnet that should go forward before mainnet does. Um, and so if there is something discovered on uni uh, that is a showstopper, we need enough time to roll um, to, to basically stop what we're doing on mainnet and then move forward uh, in a more measured way. Because we don't, you know, that we're, we're running a very complicated piece of software here with the Juno chain. And sure. although we've obviously tested it in a variety of different scenarios, uh, it's only really when you use the kind of whatever is 20, 20, 25 validator set. Um, right. Uh, uni testnet with you know lots of big smart contracts on it like Juniswap and and all this kind of stuff that we can be a hundred percent sure that everything is kind of behaving as it should be. Um, so 
that's that's the reason we we thought we'd build it in a couple of days and obviously raw is going live on the first of may so we were like well, we can't do it on the first of may so we just built we just said oh well three extra days is probably fine it's not a security patch so right there, there isn't a particular reason to target a particular day okay so i guess we'll talk about it next week right yeah 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 <laughs> Since well, I also wonder we might we might do a we might attempt a, an upgrade cast, right? Um, which might be yep. the last one. Uh, where some some people obviously remember when we did the upgrade um, to well we, when we restarted the chain after the cyber attack, uh, we did a game of nodes for that, and then everybody got stuck processing invariants for anywhere between right, two four and hours, hours. Right? Yeah, twelve, 12 <laughs> hours. Yeah, twelve hours. And this the so, the um, actually. So, Go ahead, no. Sorry, actually, um, just on that, you know, you know, with our forward planning here, um, mm -hmm. we have potentially uh, so two podcasts next Wednesday, or we just combine on the same it. day. Just maybe we just do it earlier and work it around the upgrade block and see what time it happens. Yeah, we have potential guests next week, so oh, maybe we do it twice. Can you yeah, have too much game of notes? I don't know. Probably I think not. I think the 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 audience can be the uh, can, can be the judge of that one. That'd be a good that'd be a good poll. <laughs> yeah, do is do we have too much? Game it's four it? hours please, too much. Please yeah. stop and revert to one <laughs> per month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Hold what you're doing. And and this the contract runs. So just so I understand from a smart contract perspective, and the actions that are going to happen when this upgrade block occurs, this will happen in the block after or i guess it's it's buried in into the 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 upgrade itself so does that contract run as soon as as soon as all the validators we have consensus on the upgrade everything else then the contract executes or how does that work when it comes to um when the contract kind of initiates um so the contract is completely separate to the unity upgrade um maybe that maybe that is okay. actually something worth clarifying yeah um i Obviously, so we need a cast. Uh, did a bunch of dev work. Um, other people, obviously, other devs and you know contributed to all of the many moving parts <laughs> here. Um, somebody needs to deploy the Unity smart contract. Um, I don't know who that would be. Presumably, somebody in core. Um, uh, it's just a contract that gets deployed without an admin. So once it's been deployed, it can't be changed. Um, right. And then. What the Unity handler does is unstake funds and move them into the control of the contract. Okay. Um, so ideally, that I would see. have happened consensually because what it essentially does, it, what the handler does, the upgrade handler, uh, uh, amongst other things, obviously one of them is bump a couple of versions of things, mm -hmm. but it um, bypasses the need to wait 28 days to unstake and then also have those funds at risk of being sold as liquid funds. Right. So it just makes that this block, I am saying the unbonding period is done. Those change, yeah. Smart contract. And then that's the, <clears throat> the balance is then held there in the smart contract. So the, whoever instantiates the contract is essentially just instantiating the contract with, um, a representative wallet from CCN that they're known to hold. Okay, because uh, so obviously this this contract can actually be used for any escrow situation, which has mm -hmm. very very low trust. In this situation, I guess we're talking about CCN, right? So 
they would be the admin of that contract. So not the there's an admin that allows you to migrate the contract and change the code. That's not what we're talking about here. There is a this smart contract has a concept of the owner of the funds. Um, and the owner of the funds in this case would be CCN. Right. And as we described in the the episode previously we did on what the Unity smart contract was and how it might work, um, they basically can uh, trigger a withdrawal with a 28 days delay uh, to get their liquid funds back. And then on the other side of the coin, the community can send X amount of the funds, send all of the funds or burn the funds. Um, so it, it, it is essentially the staking part of the the Juno uh, or, well, or the Cosmos SDK, if you like, mm-hmm. uh, the, the unbonding bit, the timer, but set to a Juno length. Um but without the uh, without the stake, without the, them needing to be staked in the first place, right? Right. Because right. from a develop from a developer's perspective, and I think from a lot of the technical people involved in the project, the thing that concerns us most about CCN essentially having way more voting power than it, it's it having way more voting power. Sorry, is the problem I think for a lot of devs and validators mm-hmm. and whatnot who look at that as no entity should have this much power on chain, right? Um, so that solves that sort of straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the rest of it, uh, it's it's a bit more complicated. Right. Um, the way that works is that there is a special entry point to the contract that can be called by the governance module of the SDK. So you can submit um, you can submit props that pass the message, and if the message is understandable by the contract, it will run. But the contract okay. has to exist before that prop can um, can happen. And incidentally, this is also why, um, off the top of my head, so Deus Labs, who are very, very involved in Cosmwasm, very mm-hmm. lovely people, very smart, um, do loads of great stuff running RPCs and just yeah, loads of great stuff. Also Juno Tools, right, which is, yep. oh, which is a great piece of the, you know, uh, heavily involved in that. Um, so Deus Labs, I think like Needlecast, had a similar opinion of Prop 19, um, which is that if the Unity smart contract existed, Prop 19 could have actually been done as a gov prop calling the smart contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of like the community would have had to agree to it and it would have essentially them saying, we want to be able to distribute from a Merkle drop contract to K- KYC people. Um, which is a reasonable thing to say. They, if they had gone away, K- KYC their customers demonstrate yep. they exist. So, using say one of the services that we as validators have had to go through for some chains, sure, um, which are quite thorough, thorough mm-hmm. enough that, for, you know, for example, we had to provide a whole bunch of documentation to prove that we were sure. in fact not a scam co- uh, company. Because who's ever heard of you of the United Kingdom anyway? Um. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. American KYC. So you know they were just like, mm-hmm. "What are these things?" And you're like, "Uh, you know, this is like a normal business anyway. Whatever." Um. <laughs> so if they did KYC, KYC their clients, and there was a big list of them, and then they went, "Okay, these are the addresses. These are the people we want a Merkle drop to. We've instantiated contract. Here's the contract address." They could then just submit a gov prop that says, "Send the funds here," or "Send X mm-hmm. amount of funds here," and people could vote on it. If it passed. Boom, funds go. Um, so this is why, um, in short, some people who are 
more experience with the smart contract side of things like Needlecast, like Deus Labs, mm-hmm. um, uh, a couple of others said that we would have actually voted yes on Prop 19 if it had come after Unity Prop because they would have had to implement the code for it right. after the KYC. And then, yeah, those are real people fighting. Like from our point of view, that's yeah, the exactly. whole point exercise yeah. can you take a second to clarify what a merkle drop is uh i've heard that thrown around quite a bit but i i don't know is merkle a person uh so merkle tree is the name of the underlying data structure essentially that powers like git and a bunch of other things blockchains tom uh, merkle is it tom i actually other than that he was not uh, he or they were an academic <laughs> uh, uh sure so why is it called a Merkle drop then? I think it's to do with the the way the um, so rather than it just being like a massive boom, here's all the addresses. I think it's about the way that the data structure is encoded that represents the addresses that will be dropped to. It uses a Merkle proof to store the addresses so that um, it doesn't take up so much data on chain. Fascinating. Got it. Real real time follow up named after Ralph Merkle. Ralph Merkel. I just put his put the thanks in Ralph the show notes. You got it. Thanks yep. for Ralph. saving us that yep. sweet data. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Went to Berkeley. What do you know? There you go. That's, there you that's go. All the blockchain stuff. It all comes through Berkeley. That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, does the so so I've just seen this question? Does the record withdraw address from the owner generate a proposal? They have permission to withdraw. What's that mean? Oh, right. So this is talking about the Unity uh, smart contract. Yeah. Uh, no, it doesn't generate a proposal. It's just a normal instruction to a smart contract. So the only the only entity that can interact with the smart contract via the normal execute endpoint is the the withdrawer, as they're called, which is not a very elegant name, but you know, naming stuff is hard. Um, and yeah, so that's so that, that's that. That's how the Unity smart contract works. And like I say, we, we have an entire episode about this when before the smart contract had actually been written, really, um, discussing how it might hypothetically work if you're interested in it um, from a few weeks ago. Episode four, episode three, episode two, maybe two and a half. Um, so we're on episode we need now. We need a list of like our episodes off to the side here so we can name drop them <laughs> for various reasons. Just go yeah, so we can remember which ones, which ones yeah. are which. Sort of you know, now, now that we've got more than two, it's hard to remember. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, but, well, y- yes and no. So the question, the thing that's just come up on screen is that those are not real people. I assume that means uh, that refers to the clients of CCN. Um, so I think the reason that we were talking about KYC before is because, like, I mean, we all had to do it as validators for for some chains and whilst not perfect if you do kyc it's pretty hard to actually game it um effectively it would take it's a little bit like the moon landings right um you know like the occam's razor is it happened because if when you do statistical analysis it turns out that in order to do the fake moon landings you need nearly as many people as did the real moon landings and they'd all have to agree to lie about it so you can do a mathematical model to work out how long it would take on average based on conspiracies we know about that have been revealed that somebody would blab. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out for the moon landings, it's, it's huge. It's like 
two years maximum that somebody would just blab on their deathbed or something like that. Like, um, <laughs> and, and some, some, uh, some math, I can't remember if they were economists or mathematicians. They did this for a variety of conspiracy theories and then did a bunch of like real conspiracy theories that came out, like, you know, abducting people and giving them LSD and all that sort of stuff that did happen in the sixties and how long mm -hmm. that took to came out, which wasn't very long, uh, spoiler. Um, so, with regards to there being like potentially 30,000 clients that may or may not be owed this Juno, like being that they are real people and could be KYC'd, Occam's razor is if you KYC 30,000 people and they turn out to be real people, then the orchestration work to fake 30,000 people is much more work than just them being real people, probably. And I know there's a lot of money involved, but it's quite hard to organize that and then make sure nobody blabs out of thirty thousand people so again occam's razor i think comes into play there um, i think that you just gave the longest winded explanation of occam's razor i've ever heard like normally it's just the simplest solution is probably the correct one and you just really went out for it well it's, it's, uh, well yeah yeah it's because it's because like the simplest solution is the correct one but but also when conspiracies are, are kind of thrown up, it, you can also say, well, look, there is also quite sophisticated mathematical modeling that's been done on conspiracies and whether or not they do conform to Occam's razor. And it turns out conspiracy theories and conspiracies are disprovable with Occam's razor for that reason, if you care to do the maths, which obviously I'm not a mathematician, but I read a very interesting article in The Economist about this, and I'm passing it off as my own thing. <laughs> we'll find that as well. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I thought it was really interesting. I didn't realize that uh, so much effort had gone into kind of like prove the moon landing in such a way. Like, if you think about it, you kind of like, if it were fake, then why didn't anybody that was like filming it say it was fake kind of deal? But like, I didn't realize that there was actually, you know, models put to proving that it, it was in fact real. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. Um, and there's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of other examples of that which they did, um, like 9/11 and blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. The the Earth is still definitively flat, though. Yeah, but they couldn't prove that the Earth was round. At the end of the article, they're like, it, they're they're like, but but moon landings definitely happened. But 9/11 wasn't an inside job. But Earth flat, not flat. Don't know. Dinner plate for sure. Is, it's a fucking dinner plate. Is climate change real though? That's I think that's the real question. Oh god! Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to hedge and buy some carbon credits on Regen anyway, just in case. Degen to Regen. Degen to Regen. Yeah, there you go. So uh, before cheap at the moment. Speaking of Degen, before we move on to today's topic of the day, uh, Frey, you had something in here about in? your Degen minute. Oh yeah. Okay. So uh, probably need to set a stopwatch for this because I don't want to spend more than a minute on it. Um, which I can do with a smartphone, I think, with the power of the stopwatch thing. So I'm going to give you the keys to the Lamborghini. <laughs> That's a really old reference. Anyway, um, so some people will know that um, so name drop a name name service that we've been working on for a while um, is doing a name drop, which is uh, for the governance DAO, um, and we're basically. Uh, been talking about when we're going to do the snapshot um, on the team who's working on that. It's a little bit separate because there's lots of people involved. That's happening on May 4th. And the reason that we've said snapshot and not name drop is there's actually two different components. There's the name drop, which we've already talked about, um, which is to users of the service. And there's also a th uh, going to be a separate snapshot on the 4th 
um, which is a more general but smaller one, I guess, uh, which is because we are launching a project called Howl, and they're both going to be brought together into the same project called the HowlDAO, and uh, HowlDAO, gotta love it, uh, with a token called Howl, and that is kind of where the decentralized name service project is going, and that's one minute, and there will be a public uh, alpha, hopefully in June. And so that is the keys to the Lamborghini section. And that's my DJ minute. Awesome. <laughs> a minute of DJ from the fray. One minute, one minute of DJing because we've had so, 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 so many questions about the various drops and whatnot. So now I can just point people to this and go to this episode and say, find yeah. the minute, guys. <laughs> Maybe uh, in the description of this we can put like just one bookmark is like that yeah i'll put some links in there for sure dj that's exciting man that's great okay so today's topic we want to talk a little bit around i think uh something that came up from a a little bit of previous conversation i think within the game of nodes extended crew and then it came up in a couple other episodes here and there um and i'm not sure maybe i think this might have actually started out a little bit out of a price conversation maybe is where this began which I don't think we want to be able to talk about, but the topic came around about, about the number of maybe recent uh, or 2022 chain halts. And so we've had halts on Juno and, you know, Evos, and we've seen it yesterday in Akash and other types of things that have come up for a variety of different reasons, whether that be upgrade based or maybe something slightly somewhat malicious or, you know, X, Y, Z, a bunch of different areas. And I think, um, I think the, the idea was that, be good to have a little bit of a conversation to say is this is this do we think as a as a group in this conversation and extended is this something that is this should we be expecting this does this show us this is that this is a show of uh, you know a sign of instability um is this really a technical problem or is this more of a branding problem you know in terms of halts does it actually matter um is it does it create or reduce confidence you know so i think that was kind of the idea is we see it and, and it really doesn't really affect you know, as a validator, it doesn't really affect me um, personally. I know that there's a very complicated system. And and from my perspective, there is a tremendous number of moving parts here, more than almost any other system that I've worked on um, that usually is built around code with a very limited number of interactions. And here, when you talk about, you know, more and more distributed systems with that are global with the amount of interaction and the, it's just the amount of development that's occurring um, and also, I think the amount of openness and really public pen testing that's occurring, um, I think it's part of the, from my perspective, it's just part of growth. But I don't know what you guys are all thinking about. And, you know, is it a, is it just a branding problem? And should, how, and should we, should we somehow address that branding problem? I think for me, it's worth dividing up the chain halts into like two different categories, right? It's like you have a chain halt during an upgrade and then you have a chain halt due to like some sort of exploit. I think those are, very significantly different things. Um, the question of a chain halt during an upgrade, is that a big deal? In my opinion, I don't I don't really consider it a big deal. Um, wrangling validators is like wrangling cats, especially the fact that we're global. Um, and so whenever chain goes forward within, let's say half an hour, that's like, all of us have a sigh of relief of like, wow, this was like the best thing ever. Whenever it takes two hours, not unexpected. When it takes 12 hours, little bit more unexpected. Um, so in my mind, when a chain halts during an upgrade, fine, moving on. 
um, that's okay. Whenever halts due to the exploit, such as what halted Juno last time, that's that's something I don't I don't know about. Um, I think that's something that's inevitably going to happen. I think that there are a couple of attack vectors that we haven't really addressed yet for chain halting. Um, well, I guess but, so I, I have a question, maybe, which is that um, how often do you hear about? Um, proof of work chains halting in that style, be it from an attack vector or from any other, um, for any other reason, you know. So I think um, factors to consider when you when you're pondering that though is that for the mo well for in, in the side of Bitcoin, like Bitcoin doesn't do anything other than um, you know make blocks with transaction data. It doesn't have any anything more. Uh, in it that can make it more unreliable. Um, and But certainly for the Ethereum side of things, but it doesn't have finality either for like a certain amount of blocks. So I think there's trade-offs um, for like, you know, the, you, you're trading off like different things, but yeah, it's still worth the conversation. Well, so I, I guess my question is if... If there's a chain halt on proof of work, that effectively means a fork, right? Whereas for proof of stake, it, mm -hmm. it doesn't really mean a fork because we're all like coordinated. So I guess that's my thought of like, well, for proof of work, it would just keep going one way or another. And then for proof of stake, that just means everything halts for a while. That, that, that's an interesting topic that I haven't quite thought about too much yet and can't really speak of. So, I mean, I don't, I don't validate on any other types of networks like Polkadot or whatever other ones are out there, Ethereum. So I really don't know if they suffer the same types of issues when you're, you know, getting random halts, whether it be like, I think a lot of, I'm not sure exactly what the Akash one was because I'm not a validator on Akash, but I mean, we're, we're sort of building custom, well, these, these networks are building custom um, app modules which sort of interacts with the the tendermint as well. So it's um it's not just smart contracts. It's also like a different uh, methodology of making functionality on the chain. So I mean, every time you do something in that fashion, there's a chance that you balk something within tendermint or any of the other Cosmos right. SDK modules. So because it's all it's a different setup. It's modularized, and people can sort of mess with things on an individual basis. And it's got like a less in a lot of cases, like, you know, the chain has got a, a less of a dev network around it. Whereas if you look at Ethereum or Polkadot, you know, Ethereum's probably got thousands of devs looking at the code before it goes out. Yeah. And yeah. I guess also they're more tolerant to forks, right? Because if you choose, if the new software isn't adopted, then that, like Schultz was saying, is, is a fork by default, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the... Um, I suppose, like it, the, the need to coordinate is itself something of an. It has its its pros and its cons, right? Because it is something of an attack vector in of itself. And at the end of the day, we're dealing with a black box of software, which the halting problem applies, right? So we don't one hundred percent know what's going to happen with the code. I, I I think I want to talk just just a second about um, like why is it that proof of work forks, whereas proof of stake doesn't. Um, so the reason why proof of work just basically forks instead of halts is because for proof of work, like it has infinitely um, reducing uh, consensus basically that can continue a chain going. 
So basically what happens is, let's say that half of the chain upgrades and half of the chain doesn't. Effectively what happens is the half of the chain that did upgrade, they will keep going off in their direction and keep processing. And then mm -hmm. the chain that didn't upgrade, they will also keep processing. The problem mm -hmm. is they're, what they're doing is providing no value. Um, and odds are that their network isn't being used. And so then they have every incentive to immediately figure out what went wrong and get onto the correct chain because they're not making any funds. These, these, these computers aren't getting funds anymore. Um, proof of stake, on the other hand, you, you need that consensus. If that consensus isn't reached, then the chain isn't, just, isn't moving forward full stop as a chain halt is. So with the proof of work model, if you don't, so say, um, you know, 60% of the network or even 40% changes to a new binary and then so it forks off, like which is, how do you know which is the main fork and which is not the main fork? So, so basically what happens with the proof of work generally is apps will agree to switch over to the correct fork at a given time, right? So like, if they choose not to, that's how Ethereum Classic starts to exist, right? Mm -hmm. Because people or whatever apps were like, well, I want to continue using this. And so then Ethereum Classic became something. Um, so once those apps move to the new upgrade, that's whenever it's accepted as a new one. So is that, um, is that proof of work in general? Like does Ethereum currently work the same way? Uh, I don't. I don't know that it's proof of work in general. That's my understanding of Ethereum specifically. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it sounds like that's probably how um, Bitcoin works as well. Then. Yeah, Granted, I think Bitcoin's like a lot, a lot more simple in terms of like yes, um, you know, functionality. I think we're also exposing the fact that we're not. Gen we're not really protocol engineers so it's there's there's a little bit of black box behavior going on here at some level um the thing i'm really interested to read actually um which i saw appear the other day but i've not read yet is a paper by dr martin kleppman about conflict resolution data types and um, byzantine fault tolerance um using those as a uh, a foundational building block, which I very, very much look forward to not understanding until I've read it four times. Um, but I mean, that's, I guess that's more about data modeling in some ways than it is about, um, I guess, chain architecture. Although, you know, there is a question. So, um, you know, conflict resolution data types um, are a kind of distributed systems uh, primitive for sort of resolving data coming from heterogeneous sources. Um, but generally employed in a kind of trusted environment. But it, it's but I mean, if you if they're sort of now writing about Byzantine fault tolerance, that means that they're thinking about the application of that technology in trustless environments, which I think is very very interesting. Um, as as a kind of like different primitive to blocks, right? Because blocks are block hash next block hash, mm -hmm. um, whereas CRDTs are more. Uh, I don't know what. Program. I was about to say they kind of feel like an ML type thing, um, but I actually don't know what programming heritage they come from as a as a theory. Other than a lot of the people who are involved in the th the theory behind them seem to have been involved in large distributed um, systems for you know the web giants, basically you know the sort of stuff like Apache right. Kafka and Storm and Samza and blah 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 blah. You know all those kinds of like streaming architecture. You know heavily mm -hmm. sharded web scale database type tech um so that's kind of interesting um 
So bring it back, bring it back to the cosmos. Like if we get away from the POW POS type of thing within, within the cosmos, um, do you guys feel like these halts, like even the upgrade halt, I think it wasn't so much like just a pot, a small halt for the, for, uh, you know, waiting for validators to, you know, build consensus around a new version or something similar to that. The Akash one, I think the Akash issue yesterday and Greg, listen, I, I hope I don't ruin this, but my understanding of it is that the upgrade went fine. They understood that there was a defect in the inflation module that did not show up on testnet. So they paused everything again because the inflation was like ridiculous. It was like, I don't know, somebody posted it, it was like 9,000%. Um, they paused it again. And then during that pause, I'm not, I'm not sure what happened, but they ended up coming up with another defect associated to a Cosmos SDK issue um, that had some sort of memory type of problem that was in there um some sort of some sort of uh, incorrect pointer or something out of memory issues which was i guess a known um cosmos sdk issue but that was only within the last five days which which means that was identified and there was already maybe a patch already there or something similar to that so they had to basically do a another kind of pr that was sitting on top of that um and so i think that came up maybe maybe it was at the same time as that so as as people are restarting after this defect then it, then it paused again please shut your notes down all that kind of stuff and um, I think the, the outage wasn't that long. It was only, I think it was only like three or four hours, if I remember correctly, maybe maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, and then, you know, back to the Juno halt, that was purely, that's a permissionless contract structure, right? So you you have a lot of actors that are looking for ways to poke holes in Wasm and Wasm is moving very quickly, right? Um, yep. It's moving very quickly, right? So so even those, you know, not like you guys are looking at, I don't, at least I'm not sure how far by that release goes, but I don't think you're looking at releases that are six months ago that are extremely stable, right? We're looking at things that are just being built because we want to take advantage of functionality. Um, so yeah, is well, that... I mean, but it's worth bearing in mind, Cosmwasm is still not fully yeah. a version one. Like it is sure. a version one beta eight currently. What's a beta? Uh, <laughs> beta. Beta, beta, like alpha kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I think he's I think he's poking fun at your enunciation. Honestly, uh, Austra- Australian culture and UK pronunciation is all we have in the show. That's it. Well, to be fair, <laughs> I, I think I think like if you'd asked me fifteen minutes ago, uh, 15, 15 minutes ago, fifteen years ago, I probably would have said alpha and beta. Wait, alpha and beta. What? Whatever. It would have been closer to the American pronunciation, but I've been living in the north for a long time so everything gets <laughs> sharpened everything's eep 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 pronunciation Better. sorry i cut you off i go ahead please uh yeah it was just i, I know so i just wanted to say that you know the the thing worth bearing in mind about cosmism is it moving very very quickly because a lot of this stuff is coming out as a result of change that using it in the wild or audits right. or whatever and it's you know um it's moving fast necessarily because it is new software that is still uh pre-stable in some ways mm-hmm. uh, and when there is like a version one that is like super gold standard maybe that will be like mm-hmm. an lts or something i mean i can't speak to their exact schedule and how they're gonna um how confio and co are gonna actually sort of run that but maybe that's what they have planned like kind of minting an lts type maintenance release and then it will go from there but you know um yeah the fact that there right. is beta alpha product uh, software and production is also part of the reason why there are so many um critical fixes coming in i think particularly on the cosmos front but it's also hard to see with 
so many low-level um, dependencies of these projects that are, mm-hmm. you know, once you add together dependencies plus transitive dependencies, it's mm-hmm. a very large surface area. Um, right. It's kind of hard to see how it will slow down, even when Coles and Wasm stabilizes. Um, so I guess my question is, Are is it that we are seeing more chain halts and more of this fun stuff happening or is it just that there are more chains in the cosmos now that are being more widely used and so it's more visible yeah i mean i would definitely say that there are certainly more chains in the cosmos in the last even six months um they've just been exploding out um but i wanted to circle back around to your point that this is all beta software that point really can't be emphasized enough like i had a meeting with interchain foundation um, like on a Thursday about interchain accounts. And they're like, you know, there's this problem where interchain accounts right now, there isn't really a good use case for them because right now a relay would need to add a new channel for every single account that was made interchain effectively. So right now, anytime there's like a, a channel between like Evmos and Osmosis, there's a new channel for that. So every single user would need a new channel. Um, that was a Thursday. A Monday, a PR came out that fixed it. So literally in three days, a new thing came out that resolved it that the person I had talked to, like, had assumed that we were a long ways out from. And things like that happen a lot where, like, you go into conversation and you both have the same understanding of like, okay, so this is a cool feature, but it's not quite ready for prime time. Three days later, that prime time has been reached. And so that just, as things happen like that, and since we're moving in such a, a breakneck pace, that's just the way it goes. Yeah, with state sync wasm like prime example we're like that that feature has been blocked that that um piece of work has been blocked or unfinished or still discussed for like a year um i know juno was talking about it when juno went mainnet Mm -hmm. and then it's kind of pooled along a little bit here and there and then like what literally last week like asaf was tweeting oh yeah no no no, we've we've, we're pretty much there and you're like oh yeah so that one was like that was like someone figured out that you just, you know, sort of had a fix to manually make it work. And then I think everyone just muddled along with that for six months and like, ah, oh, that'll do. Right. And then, you know, someone, the big brain, a wrinkle brain was in the background actually making it work properly. <laughs> I mean, it probably wasn't like the three, the, the, you know, because I like, I, I kind of saw somebody was working on it and then saw that the fix was announced like a few days later. So, Mm-hmm. The the likelihood is that it was actually only announced the thing that people were working on when it was nearly done. Yeah, it probably had been worked on for longer. But you know, there are a lot of things like that where you're like, oh yeah, that isn't gonna be ready for a while. And then somebody will be like, dude, it was released yesterday. And you're like, what? Um, yeah. So not only are there that, you know, the main line is beta, specifically with Wasm, but you've also got forks of beta. Um, so like Luna for example, mm-hmm. yeah. which is like, you know, their own sort of bastardization of a beta. Um, so well, it's pre it's pre version one. So it's not even one of the beta releases. It's um, not 16, I think of Cosmosm. So, um, but I think they've sort of implemented some functionality to do with like interaction with um, 1.0, right? Like it's still, I mean, like case in uh, point, I don't know. Like I, I, <laughs> I, I know that there are a few things about their model that are fundamentally different, like migrations, like a few other things mm-hmm. that just do not function in the same way. 
So I, I know that there are points where the code is just incompatible. Um, and there, is, there are obviously things, there are things that are incompatible between beta 6 and beta 8 of Cosmos and version 1. So I think it's probably more stable, more unstable on the Cosmos and contract side than it is on the at the actual chain level. Like some of that stuff will be able to interact, but you won't be able to deploy a contract from one to the other, if you know what I mean. You probably have to write two versions of the same contract and then have them do um, uh, sort of, you know, do like receive and stuff if you wanted them to interact. Yeah. Um, but just like. So it'd have to be specifically written to interact with that other contract. Yeah, I think I, that's my understanding, isn't it? Because uh, anyway, because you know, essentially, you're just you when you do when you're messing around with that kind of stuff, you're basically just implementing a protocol, aren't you, to do the receive and and send? Um, or well, okay, well, again, that's actually again, I'm kind of going to show my ignorance here because it's actually slightly different, isn't it? Depending on what you're interacting with over IBC, because if you, for example, use ICS twenty, you're just going to send it straight to the bank module of the other chain, so you don't need another contract as a receiver on the other one, but. Um, there are examples like IBC Reflect. You can have uh, is it IBC Reflect? I'm thinking of. I think IBC Reflect is the name of the thing I'm thinking of, where you can see how you can interact with a thing that's on a, on a different chain, and maybe like those kinds of examples. <coughs> chain halts. Um, so yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, I was like, you're getting into the weeds here, dude. Just give me back out. I, um, <laughs> are we kind of done on chain halts? Like they happen. They're sort of because of fast development. Um, they tend to get fixed reasonably quickly, except for in the case of Evmos, which took a little bit yeah. longer. But I think they had some more fundamental things, and they didn't want to rush it. Well, um, they're, they're, and they are fundamental to proof of stake as well. I mean, I think we've also yeah. established that too. Which, right, you know, is the thing. I, and, and like, I, and arguably, it's a flaw of proof of stake, right? Because, like, like, so if we want to talk about like, there's something that there's something final, interesting, which is I think worth alluding to right which is that so um BitTorrent worked because the way it encoded incentives was such that you were always incentivized to send the data right so all the clients fundamentally would send the data because the way the economic incent well it wasn't economic because you didn't insofar as you got something back which is i guess still right. economics right you were incentivized as a client to send data to, to another party so that other parties would send you data, right? But it was correct. Um, and it was an optimistic solution to the repeated prisoners dilemma. Right. Those kind of incentives have been core to how all peer-to-peer -peer stuff has worked since. And they're in those ideas are also encoded into uh, Bitcoin and in, to some extent to Byzantine fault tolerant solutions like the ones that govern proof of stake, right? Back to Schultz's point with the example of like these validated these nodes upgrade these ones don't these ones aren't making any money so they are incentivized to get back onto this version mm -hmm. that's really 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 cool because like the the way in a trustless uh, system those incentives play out is basically the whole ball game and you see that that is like there's a very 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 strong incentive um to get Tr um, essentially trustless nodes to act in the collective interest of a decentralized chain continuing to mint blocks mm -hmm. whereas how that's done in proof of stake is entirely a social dynamic which is itself an interest like that's completely different because it's not done via arbitrary you know economic 
belief and essentially a mathematical model it's done via social dynamics of a hundred odd validators agreeing to do a thing and as soon as you have something that is explicitly socially engineered it can be attacked and it can be manipulated and it has that is Mm -hmm. a built-in vulnerability to the system i think that that is an interesting thing which we see by accident with chain halls right yeah but it's not impossible that it could be either an attack vector or a response to governance in the future. I, I think that that's, yeah, I think that's a really great point. I, one thing I want to touch on that is that because it's a social vector to stop it, that means that a lot of the difficulty with chain halls is they often happen due to um, poor upgrade instructions. So like they'll say, you know, generally there's only a couple of steps to like do an upgrade. You, uh, you check out the new branch, you install it, you move the binary over, you restart, right? These are these are the four steps. Now, sometimes you'll see like, do an unsafe reset mid-step. And then this is what happened with Evmos. This is when four or five validators um, tombstone themselves. And then we have to, to roll back. Those upgrade instructions, someone that writes good upgrade instructions is worth, they're worth like, and they're worth basically infinite value because they're keeping the chain going, right? There have been multiple chains where like I'll go in and I'll start doing the upgrade and I'm like, okay, so this is literally, this is literally gonna stop the entire chain. And I'll like put a small mm-hmm. PR in that says, well, we should we should do this instead. And then let's hit and be like, oh, right, crap. Um, not, I'm not, I don't mean to my own horn here, just the importance of like really good documentation is just of the utmost importance. And because it's the social construct that you were talking about, incredibly important. But that's that's not even, that's not even like necessarily just for an upgrade, Schultzy. Like sometimes there's just chaff in the in the installation instructions, or mm-hmm. there's just missing information, or there's like duplicate information which conflict with each other in the same document because just care and attention hasn't been put into the um, the instructions. Like I can't remember what chain it was, yet, but the other day, and I think it might have only been a testnet. To be fair, but um, I was trying to. Like I was just going through their instructions to to look at it while I was um, booting up their testnet to see if there's anything different to the norm, and I was a bit baffled by the service um, document for um, system D because it had like uh, environment variables for Cosmos in there. Ah, uh, sorry, for a Cosmovisor, and um, but the, it wasn't for Cosmovisor, so it was, you know. People sometimes just copy paste stuff and then don't even pick up these types of things, which I I don't know if it's because, you know, why, but it's not attention to detail that they're putting into it anyway, or they, they, they don't know. I'm not sure. But, um, anyway, pays for the validators and the people who are, you know, involved with these networks to definitely review docs, put some brain power into it when you're reading it, instead of just blindly copy pasting stuff. And submit PRs to fix stuff because it affects it affects everybody, and it's your responsibility as a validator. Yeah, I do think that overall the documentation is getting better, though. I think there's a lot of copy pasta going on across different chains. Like I think people still go back to docs.juno network or whatever it is, and and pull out of stuff that you've built and all and others. And I well, still a see a lot of that showing up everywhere from Stargaze. When well, I, th- I think Meow Stargaze wrote- came after. Either Meow or Jay Hernandez wrote some particularly good 
docks for one of the Stargaze test nets. And yeah, yeah, the yeah. Juno docks for the first Juno test net came out of that. And then it they've just gradually been chipped away at since then. So I think the Juno docks being good, you can trace back to the Stargaze docks being good. Wow. In other words, Noel, you don't get that credit. You bring a lot of delegations box, <laughs> I think. So, well, I think like to give um, that back. the Frey's also done a lot of work on those docks as well. Like we sort of chip away at them. I think when either of us get time and update them and fix them, and yep. I, I don't know, we've so, rearranged those a lot um, out uh, the Frey. Uh, I, I, to, the t- the t- certainly, I'm not sure if you're referring to like the actual. Um, setup docs that are actually in the um, in the GitHub or the actual uh, docs.junonetwork.io, but the GitBook stuff, yeah, the GitBook stuff, I think, yeah. has shown up other places as you know. I, I I see that being pasted around a little bit, and some chains, I yeah. think, I think some chains also try to, um, for better or for worse. This is not a this is not an opinion, just of what I've seen. I think other chains also give very little information on doc on documentation to try to weed out validators that might not know exactly what's there like i don't need the docs all i need give me a genesis and you know know, a binary and a binary (laughs) what version you're running like what's a chain id that's all i need right um and you know maybe a peer or maybe a seed or something else or standing up a seed or something similar to that but um and then you can see you you get a you get a kind of a different variety of validators that get involved depending on the quality of that docs and and i don't think that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing i'm just just saying it might be different based on projects, based on what the project's trying to do. And I can understand that, right? Um, yeah, so, so good- like, you know, incentivized testnet, that might be like test one. Can the validators actually stand up a validator without right. copy-pasting their way to glory? Right, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then I think some of those, you know, like we see in some of these other types of chains, which is just how fast can I write a script to spam the faucet? Like that stuff, like who, who are we benefiting with this crap, right? Um, that's a different thing. But somehow we got off the idea of, of chain halts, but... <laughs> That's yeah. Back to documentation. Just I mean, to close out the. Go ahead. Is, sorry, I was just say it is, it is interesting as well. Just in the last year, how I, I mean, and certainly I remember like this time last year, it was, you know, a testnet was launching with spaces in the, uh, you know, incentivized testnets were launching with mm-hmm. spaces in the testnet set because you could not get enough people, even with documentation, sure. you, you could quite readily pasta, you know, your way to glory, as Noel put it um whereas like now you know you can you see some test nets which get like a thousand gen tx's or whatever um so again it's just another thing when we're talking about how you know how things are moving fast and how things are falling over and all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff you know it's worth remembering that there were like what seven live chains in cosmos at that yeah. point right it's like 20 now or i mean i joined secret because they couldn't get enough people to validate for it when i joined there was like 40 of us um, and then there was another month or two before they ended up hitting 50. And that was back in, I don't know, mid last year sometime. So things have moved quick. Um, as soon as the chain comes up, it's already, a, it's already a max every time now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's um, insane. The floor, the, the floor is lava thing that we talk about a lot. The lava comes up fast. Hmm. So I have a couple of other things to add yep. in the, um, just randomly. So weeding out, um, you know, poor or you know validators who don't particularly know uh what they're doing um i suspect that sometimes people put the wrong instructions into a uh setup on a test net on purpose um and actually you know make 
purposeful mistakes to see like, you know, either to make sure that people are helping people or to, you know, weed out people who don't know what they're doing. Um, but the other thing is like something I noticed for Stargaze, um, you mentioning the phrase that during that, um, some of those test nets, like they were putting bonuses like into upgrade uh, code. I think it was them. And and if you like picked it up by actually reviewing yeah, the code before you said, just blindly run it. Yeah, it said don't run this upgrade. If you read this, Yeah, like yeah, if you, if you read this, don't I do the upgrade. Reach out to, to Jay, I think. And I think nobody spotted it either. And was we that in the contract when they oh when they did the contract reviews before they published before they governed in the no, it's just uh, like the a, awesome contract. Like an early test net, there was like an upgrade oh. handler. And in the upgrade, awesome. the upgrade handler was a no-op, and it said something like, if you read this line, privately contact Jay Hernandez, and if this happened in the real world, don't <laughs> ask awesome. code. Right. Um, and I think I, maybe nobody did. And then they were I like, think one person did. I think one person did. Yeah, uh, maybe I mean, I don't remember who it was. Yeah. I think consensus was definitely reached on that handler as in it, it the, the handler got 67 percent or whatever and so everybody got a, a little bit of the riot attack reading to them that's cool <laughs> um, um but i think meow i think meow and uh uh jay were like you know had a little bit of fun throwing easter eggs and stuff all over the place in those test nets i don't think it was just that one thing i think they did like a couple of things yeah um to yeah. sort of you know see if people are awake or not and some of us were not like uh, <laughs> I, I guess it will say like it depends it depends like at what uh at what point of juno's um first few months that was as to whether or not i would have been awake at that point versus very much not awake and trying to be like what is all this sdk shit um <laughs> which was definitely where i was last june it's been like the hands up it's just it's a lot of it. Like if you're trying to stupidly eat the elephant and do the SDK and Cosmosm and everything at once, because you need to write documentation and actually write code and blah, blah and it's just like it's a lot of it. Um, so, so we have some questions in Ask Game of Node. Should we deal with them before we wrap up? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the first one, no, would you like to take this one? Yeah, I'm not looking at the. Um, oh, you're not the, looking. At the, okay, well, I, no, I'm I, on my laptop. So the question we have uh, on this is: This is Ask Game of Nodes. Um, why do validators dump? Why do validators dump? That is the question for you now. Well, I'll I'll start out on that um, because I've been called out for selling rewards as well. So, and I think a lot of people um, get some heat at some point in their career for selling rewards. So I think what. Um, the general public need to realize uh, in some instances, like, you know, our company is a for-profit company. Um, I think a lot of them are, uh, but also we're running businesses and a lot of us aren't just anonymous people. Um, we have companies and we have tax to pay and we have to think about the long-term viability of the companies. We have to have, um, you know, war chests for potential legal issues. We have to be able to cover, um, you know, our server costs so that we make sure that we're running for the long term. So, you know, we could be coming in right now to a lull in the market and who knows how long that'll last. And even people are a long way up the, the validator list, um, their incomes are going to, you know, 
evaporate pretty quickly. Um, and certainly, I think when the when the prices are low, a lot of validators want to try not to sell as well. Um, so it makes mm-hmm. more sense to sell them while they're high. Um, and whether that's high going up or high coming down, like you don't know where the high is or where the lows might be. So I think um, in our case, we have um, other bags that we just constantly compound, but it's more or less our policy that when the prices are rising to um, sell rewards um, and then when the prices are on the way down, we sort of sell them to a point that we think it's, um, you know, diminishing returns and that it's actually hurting the market and then we sort of stop um, and then we just roll them back into the validators or add them to the other wallets um, and then just keep compounding and hate, hope for, uh, you know, hay days again, nice sunny days and we make right. our bales and then, you know, try and save it up for the bad days. But I guess as a business, the long-term goal is to be able to provide your service, rain, hail or shine, and be able to cover any, um, you know, costs that might come up in the meantime, whether it be, you know, unforeseen uh, hardware or labour or, you know, legal expenses or anything like that. Um, You don't just run on a shoestring in the hope that everything will be okay. And then you don't want to be forced to sell stuff when the price is really low. Um, And it works different for tax in different countries as well. Like I know the way our company tax is, is incredibly different to a lot of the ways, like I think in the UK, the company tax is fundamentally different to how we operate. And again, completely different in the US and whether you're an individual or a company, like each each validator has their own set of circumstances. Um, so I yeah. think we're quite fortunate here where we actually benefit a lot uh, when the prices um, go down uh, because we actually it reduces our tax bill overall um, if the end of financial year coincides with a low market. Um, but, you know, that hurts a lot of other validators um, because of their tax laws. They might be incurring... Um, tax liability during the year uh, and if they don't sell their um, rewards or at least half of them to cover that tax they're actually they're making income tax liability which means that if the token price goes down their liability doesn't go down they still owe tax on those high prices so so to um, summarize to summarize that point for somebody who's not an expert in tax so if you if you uh, if you work in this space for any length of time, and certainly one of the core skills of a validator is learning about the tax law in your just jurisdiction, because it will determine whether or not you go bust in your first year or not by accident. Mm-hmm. In a lot of jurisdictions, the second you claim rewards, you owe taxes straight away. So if not everyone, but it is relatively common that something like that happens, something is owed. Yeah. So if you then restake those, um, or do something different with them that doesn't involve turning them into dollars or pounds or euro or yen, you might end up in the situation at the end of the year when the government comes knocking for more money than you have, and then you are bankrupt as a business. And in right. some countries, that means you can't run a business for the next five years, which would be very bad. So there's a whole bunch of things going on there. So quite often when you see validators dumping um, in, in any way, shape or form, it's because of uh, it's kind of a function of that sort of thing, which is as Noel was sort of alluding to, if you anticipate the market is to some extent volatile and you don't want to be not supporting the market. So 
validators have more tokens rewards as a set than your average sort of user of the network so what you ideally want is when there's an economic downturn you want the validator set to compound not sell because that provide provides price support and it also signals uh, it's an economic incentive that there's strength in the network right um and so in order to do that you have to make sure that you're covering whatever the value of those would be in the downturn when the times are good like Nell said on the way up or the way down doesn't really matter which um so that or or both or both Um, yeah which is why you see a lot of people both investors and engineers validators whatnot people who get paid in crypto cash it out on the day they get it or immediately restake it it's the same phenomenon at play and and just for folks in the u.s so in the u.s uh, which I, it might be the same elsewhere as well. I'm guessing it is. But for for us, when when we pull those rewards, we are we are treating those rewards as income, and the commissions as income at the time and also at the price when that happens. So, like what what Noel was saying before is, if I have a slide like we're dealing with right now, where Juno has gone from forty five dollars to thirteen and a half dollars over this time, I'm paying income tax on a coin at $45 at that time that I earned that amount, which was only a few months ago. Um, and so that is income at that amount, but the current value is 13. And when I, if I do sell that, sell that at some point in the future, then I can deal with capital gains, which it could be a loss or it could be a gain or whatever else that is. But it's, it's extremely, there's a lot of high risk for a validator in terms of the effect of price on if this business makes sense or not. Um, because for things like this, when you're dealing with income that's coming into it that way, it could be extremely, extremely negative associated to that, right? Um, that's point one. But one other point on this is that of the mint, so I, I'm, let's let's focus on Chihuahua because Chihuahua, I think, has been, there's been a lot of talk around validators dumping on Chihuahua and those types of things, which, which and that's the reason that it's driven down to 0.0003 cents from whatever it was. Um, of the total mint that's occurring, right? Uh, validator commissions, I think when I look across the commission structure on all these vid- validators, I would say probably the average, there's a lot at 5%, a little bit, a couple at 10 or 9% in terms of commission, right? So if we if we average it out at 6% and say of the total mint that's occurring and the total, the total increase in terms of coin, 6% is going to validators. If all those validators are dumping, from my understanding, if I'm correct here, that over a period of time, six percent is going to validators if validators are dumping there's still 94 percent of mint that's occurring right so some something to piggyback on that um is that there's a lot of accounts that people don't see because they're not validators right so you know from that from that drop there's no there's no cap in that airdrop on however and there are wallets with hundreds and hundreds of millions of however that are getting the full reward and they're getting more rewards than the top validator and there's more than one of those wallets and then a lot of them are just selling the entire time that however has been or chihuahua has been live so the the validator validators selling um on that network is like you say a small percentage of what is actually being sold but yeah. um, the thing is that people can see the validators, right? Right. They can exactly. click on 
they can click on king nodes or or um, rhino or lavender or bloody needle cast and they can go to their public wallet and they mm -hmm. can see that these guys sold and we're hurting at the moment because the price is down we're going to get on twitter and flame the shit out of them um right and if you want to do that fine but yeah but know, i mean just, look at the, just know that it hurts those validators. <laughs> I mean, look at the top ten. I mean, I mean, even even the self bonded percentage, and even self bonded is not really a good metric here because sometimes validators might have personal Nobody wallets as well as yeah. as well as a validator wallet, right? But Nobody like, uses the validator wallet. But so like King Nodes staking percent is like the biggest red herring imaginable because everybody the only totally, time totally that, that is ever accurate is if you didn't incentivize testnet. And they say, oh, whatever you used for that one is what we're going to airdrop to, no exceptions. And so you end up yeah. with your validator address just having all the uh, the locked, you know, locked tokens, whatever they're locked for, 10 years, 12 years, whatever. Right. Um, in almost every other situation, I don't know about you guys, but certainly we as a as business have, it goes straight in a cold key and goes into a bank vault. Mm -hmm. And we never touch it, basically. For, especially so anything invested long term. What's I would point? say that I would say that I have the highest, um, and I haven't checked, but I would say that I have the highest self stake in Chihuahua. I think. Mm, um, I'll throw it no, down. No, no, you don't. No, you, <laughs> you don't reckon? <laughs> I have more than you, and I don't. I'm I'm forty two on this list. Yeah, I think last oh, year. I, when, when I say self stake, I mean like my my wallet is. Oh, your personal bags. No, no, no. The my validator wallet is staking forty. Five million, I think. I've I've been turning the rewards back in, but it's not necessarily self-staked to my validator because I, I. Oh, you're um, right. My bad. You're right. I, I stake all the way down as well. You're um, right. You. That's correct. You are better. See, this is this is a good example of the right thing to do. You have fifty million, Huawei that's in there, and twenty to you, and another thirty to others across the group. That's it's noble. Pro yeah. validate and pro. Pro validator has ten total Huawei staked. Yeah, it looks like yeah, out of the top ten, you are. It, it it's no contest. You are obviously like the number yeah. one in there. Yeah. Maybe even the top twenty. But I think um, I think the point of this this question and like why do they dump and dump is a. I think I asked this question when this came up. I forget who who was shit posting on Twitter about this topic, but <laughs> there's so many, I can't, I can't keep track, but the idea of like, there, there has to be some rewards taken to be able to, to be able to pay for what's going on. And the, the running these services are not cheap, whether that is cloud-based services or like, well, you do it from a colo and a mix of cloud or they're not, they're not cheap. Right. And I think that's come up, you know, especially if you make bad decisions, like using AWS for all your hosting exam, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> Um, take I, was, your I, was wondering, I was wondering how long my storage Not, choices were going to take to come up. An hour and twenty, I guess. Yeah. Um, but but the they're not cheap, and and there's and like I think uh, Todd from Blockplane just called that this out as well. Which folks who are listening to this, you have attorneys' fees, you have hosting, you have payroll, you might have accountants, you have taxes, you have insurance. It's a business, right? I'm really and glad so that that, that overhead that overhead is sorry, but say it one more time. There you go. So that that overhead is not insignificant. And when you start adding these types of things up and being able to pay yourself or you have a small team or other types of things or outside consultancy you might be able to use for media or other types of things, there's a significant amount there. And so when something like Chihuahua dumps from 0 0.008, I think is what it was, if I remember, to literally 4% of that, yeah, 
you're going to see a, you're going to see a ton of dumping because it, because those bills are not going away. Those bills don't scale based on what the price is. The um, taxes of what we've of of what is coming from income from six months ago, we're still paying for, right? So those types of things, I think, are are important components that I think everybody or some folks I think miss. Um, and uh, and it's an it's an important piece. So I think it's difficult to look at just a one wallet or look at a validator or look something on one chain and say, oh, this person is what's driving that cost down. I would think any validate, even all validators dumping would not have a huge impact on price. Compared uh, to what's going on from a commission perspective, there's there's one thing I want to add here. Um, I think as far as your validators concerned, you want them to be selling basically weekly, um, maybe even more frequently, because that means it's very relatively small amounts that are constant. Whereas mm-hmm. if they're building up for two months and they dump it all in one stretch, that's going to dump the price for a moment. It might recover mostly, but it's going to have a noticeable effect. Um, I've seen this several times on secret where it's coming for some reason over there for people to hold it for a long time. And then to do one huge sell where you can see because they're not selling, they're selling on the market. (laughs) So if your validator is selling, you know, pulling, let's say every Monday, selling that Monday and they keep doing that every week, it's basically just going to remain this constant pressure versus one huge event. You want that, that reliable system rather than a, a big event to occur. Yeah. It's, it's it, from a validator perspective, that's tough to do. Cause I think Null said this earlier, like it's when prices are going down, man, I, I'm holding on to this stuff. Cause it's just painful to, to be able to, to be able to sell like Stargaze is an example of that. Like, I think that is so incredibly undervalued, even getting rid of any of that seems horrible. Like a mistake I'm going advice. to. That's not investment advice. I know, though. right? I know. It's a horrible <laughs> approach to it, isn't it? It's a horrible approach. Don't listen to me. That's a bad advice. You should. So, but I think, I think in others, I think some of you guys are much more, like you said, Schultz is much more um, structured around that, which is, I don't care. I'm not going to look at the price. I'm converting it at this date. And so Sunday, every Sunday I'm going to do it. And whatever it is, it is. I think that's a, that's probably a much smarter way of being able to think about it over the long I, term. I think some people's strategy is to just look at what I do and do the same thing. <laughs> that's. That's my whole. That's my whole. I know. I know at least a couple of people that that, that what Nal does filters down. That's the Rhino tagline. I think. Um, but there's uh, you go back to block pains. I, I um, uh, uh, comment that you 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 highlighted a minute ago as well. I think there's one final thing about that that's that's worth drawing out, which I think people don't often think about. Which is, you know, in amongst the obvious things, the hosting and the less obvious, the legal fees and insurance, like. Damn, nobody thinks about insurance, but that shit is expensive. Um, There is, uh, there there was also like, you know, like uh, maybe employee benefits is more of a US thing, you know, because health insurance, whatnot. Um, But but payroll is, you know, engineers are really expensive and convincing people to come and work in um, crypto is really hard because. Um, so to give you an idea, like uh, my previous life, I um, worked as a team lead, um, managed teams, still wrote code, but like did a lot of hiring and whatnot. And yeah, for a big engineering department, 60 people, 80 people, you're backfilling like a quarter of your department at almost all times with contractors because you can't hire enough people mm-hmm. um, and you're paying above market. You're doing everything you can to hire and you, you would have four or five senior engineers, principal engineers doing two to four hours of recruitment a week like you know calls first interviews second interviews tech tests reviewing tech tests 
to hire nine people a year. When you're a validator and you're doing this as independents, that stability of not only saying we are a stable enough operation with stable enough income streams that you can trust us to pay your salary next month, mm -hmm. it's super, super, super hard. Yep. And you have to be credible as somebody who can say that with a straight face and convince somebody to leave what may be a very stable situation for them to come and work in this space. And I think all of us have had the situation where sure. we've looked at our cash flow for the next year. And for some of us, the tax year is ending now. So it's you, you start to do projections for the next year and you go, okay, well, can we bring more people into the operation for, you know, there are other projects. There are there is a lot of stuff involved in running a validator. Maybe there are more chains that you want to move into, and or you know teams that want it, that that want you know you to help out with X, Y, or Z. And that that thing where I think a lot of independent validators basically do everything with one, two, three people tops. Maybe the odd contract hour here and there from people they know that will do the odd bit of contract work, but they're running on quite a shoestring in terms of mm -hmm. development hours you know um, or or any hours right infrastructure monitoring this that what i mean i think that's one of the other reasons that why i think this gon started which was which was just validators helping out because whether that is being able to be informed about something or snapshots or helping with this or i need a snapshots was the somebody, big one, somebody help me with xyz right like yeah. you, it's very difficult as a small kind of i guess business owner if you want to say that to to be able to do it all yourself um or even with a small team because it 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 truly takes more than that right well i think the i from from memory the original thing that we all started chatting about was letting each other know when our nodes were down right because sometimes you screw up you know especially before uh we all got onto block pains um uh tender duty <laughs> Some of the stuff, I'm mean, particularly Grafana. I'm looking at you, like was quite flaky in terms of actual good uptime notifications. Um, yeah, uh, and I have. I'm, a, I'm slowly changing everyone to Zabbix. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a double tap notification system now, where I have my own homebrew one and the other stuff, so that I get two. And if I know if uh, if two happen, then it's real. It's 100 percent real. It's on. <laughs> um, that's how paranoid I am. Um, but like that was how I think this conversation started happening, which was, you know, yeah, um, yeah essentially having snapshots and things to recover. And also because we were already talking, so we're going, dude, your notes down. Um, but, you know, we found a community to sort of help us out with that. But like, I think all of us, uh, you know, look and look into the future and go like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have a couple of keen young interns <laughs> or, or, or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Um and that's all a kind of part of the, you know, like um, when, when you talk about building tech organizations, like we're obviously unrelated organizations or the validators, but there is like, you know, there's a social set of everybody and everybody is trying to professionalize the, to a lesser or greater extent, or at least stabilize their operations. And that's like very common in all organizational growth that you have sort of like a pioneer period, then you have like town planners come in and then you build a city there and then that's a stable technology and we're like way off in the wild wild west where we're still pioneering um and all of us are just trying to work out a way of, of getting to the point that we can actually start like putting a well down right. or whatever it is you guys did out west in uh, america and to be fair i guess relatively recently in australia at least in terms of putting in you know more modern infrastructure 
That's right. <laughs> hey, our uh, our internet can get a solid fifty megabits per second on a good day with fiber. Which is honestly, which is amazing. It's incredible. When you actually think about the global component of that, like if you actually think about how much data is being moved there and the location and it's, and like it is, I mean, it's maybe, maybe it's my age showing that it's it's fascinating me. The fun carried on camel across the desert. Yeah. I used to live, I I live in Chicago. I remember having a a single and dual. I remember going from single channel ISDN to dual channel ISDN and thinking that was unbelievable at 256 K a second. Right. Like I remember those days of like actually getting when the phone rang, you went from two fifty six to one twenty eight. I was like, shit! Somebody called me. I'm losing like downloads and those types of things, or even three hundred yeah, modems. The call I mean, waiting, I go like way back. Up the- yeah, call waiting. We said <laughs> yeah. fuck up. Exactly. That used to happen. Back, yeah. yeah, you said do that. I forget what the star number was. Fifty six k to broadband was like a revelation, wasn't it? Fifty six fifty six k to ISDN was because I remember moving from three three hundred to twelve hundred to twenty four to nineteen six to fifty six k to then to ISDN. And then the first time I actually was on broadband, it was like, it was unbelievable. I remember having a T1 in the office. I thought that was incredible. I think I jumped straight from 56K to broadband. So it was just like, it was like, can't load a page to like light speed. And I don't think I've ever, it's never been that, that much of a jump. (laughs) Schultz has no idea what the fuck I'm talking about right now. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Okay. All right. I mean, the irony here is that like. (laughs) I think that a lot of torrenting came about because they needed some sort of technology for like, how do you continue to download yeah. whenever it ends, right? And so now we're kind of coming full circle with that where blockchain is basically, it's basically torrenting really. If, if Like if you want to extrapolate it far enough out, that's basically what it is. And so now we're using it in some sort of global scale um, to resolve something that we thought was resolved 20 years ago. And so will there be something that comes along that makes blockchain redundant again? I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, and, so, I, and, and Roman just talked about Starlink as well. Star like just watching that kind of go where it's going has also been pretty amazing. Like that that type of technology then opens up to say, where do I want to live, right? And and other types of things that are important to me, which is unfortunately bandwidth is important to me. But having some stable bandwidth and those types of things that means you'd be able to open up anywhere you want to live, and you could put middle of Montana with a you know two hundred megabit. What the heck, man? It's crazy. So I have two things, Dad. Uh, particularly around Australia, one thing is that our population density isn't very big and our country is incredibly fucking huge. So the cost of our network is enormous right. per capita. Right. Um, and which makes our internet not as cheap as it could be. But I think like, you know, the government's just taken a pretty big L on that because our, um, our broadband network's owned by the government here because no private company in their right mind would build it because they would never be able to profit from it. Um, but I think one day our, our, private, our publicly owned network will probably get privatized at a discount um, so someone can profit off it at some point. Yeah, that's, now, that's back, kind of the way, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, someone someone makes the money at the end of the day who's probably you know buying an official lunches right now to get in their pocket. Anyway, right. so on Starlink, um, yes. I just pulled a Starlink out of the box yesterday and really? plugged it in, um, business uh, Starlink, and my God, I was just astonished. So latency isn't that good, obviously, um, mm-hmm. but it's better than a, than a normal satellite by a long shot. So I had like, um, this is in Armadale in New South Wales. It's in the middle of nowhere. 
Um, and I had uh, just sitting on top of my car with the satellite dish, uh, a latency of 40, um, a download speed of 220 megabits, and an upload of about 25 megabits at that point. Um, 40, and it was cloudy. 40, megas- 40 uh, milliseconds to where? Uh, so that was from um, a SpaceX point, I think, to the um, speed test on the phone. Mm. So, so I think that that demarks back to somewhere within Australia, right? It doesn't like automatically demark to California or something like that, right? Like it, it, well, it, it probably – so they, they go to the lowest latency public server, but it would have been on the surface, but probably in America somewhere. Um, yeah, would have been the endpoint from uh, SpaceX, but I mean, it's it doesn't particularly matter so much. I don't think where the awesome. endpoint is because they've got stations all over the world. Um, but in terms of like the round trip, would have been like forty milliseconds for a satellite because of the low Earth orbit is pretty, uh, low Earth orbit is um it was pretty, like I was amazing. Amazed. Like we have, uh, yeah, like we have technical issues trying to get internet out in the bush. And that is a revelation for us because we there are no other options um, right. other than if the if the cell network doesn't reach there and there's a lot of black spots on the cell network that aren't on public roads or in cities, right. you go out into the bush somewhere and you need um, like even for emergency services you need some sort of deployment for your emergency services unless you're getting like uh, Iridium Go satellite from our main carrier and paying a shitload of money to get it there on a trailer. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you've got no options. The right. the bloody um, uh, Starlink, I could plug into my inverter in my car, could stick be anywhere, it on right? my roof, yeah. and have local Wi-Fi for anyone that's there, whether yeah. they're an emergency service or what have you. It's like, it's, it's pretty, pretty cool. revolutionary for us. That's nice. pretty cool. I know there's some SSH clients out there as well that are, I think, built around that where... Because SSH obviously is every keystroke, right? Where you might feel that latency, but I think it just brings it all local. Then whenever you hit enter, it goes right. So you can have some structure where it does some work where you don't rec- really. So that forty milliseconds might not feel like forty milliseconds, even if you're going to Hetzner or something else in the U.S. or whatever else, just because you know trying to trying to trick it a little bit. So I, I'm sure even with that, like you would it would feel like you're right next to it, right? Pretty cool. To be fair, I'm not uh, SSHing over a satellite. I'm watching. YouTube and Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yes, after after our extended return to the bush, and Noel having gone walkabout for a little bit there, um, shall shall we do uh, what are you most excited about this week and wrap up? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep, I'll go. I feel like, I feel like I've just I've just insulted <laughs> the whole of Australia. And if I ever go back there again, it all comes back to Australia. We like that episode of The Simpsons where the Prime Minister of Australia bends over Bart Simpson and gives him the kicking in the ass. <laughs> I'll find you, like, you, man. Find on you. a live broadcast, you took the piss out of Australia and therefore you're going to pay. Um, <laughs> so you um, said. You said, yeah. what are you most excited about this week? I look forward to dumping all my Cerberus and Chihuahua and everything else, just selling all rewards across all chains, just to try to dump the price as much as I can with my small bags. Um, no, I, I think this week, it's great that Evmos started back up today. I think that's that's great. I know there's a, there's still work to do there in terms of enabling ledger support and inflation will come back and those types of things. I think that's great. Um, kind of on the heels of... of um, 
of some of the stuff related to dumping, we're getting ready as a, this is more of a personal thing, but from a Rhino perspective, we're getting ready to announce something associated to um, doing some kind of large scale donations um, from the rewards that we earn. Um, it's something that we've been kind of working on for a little bit of time. So we're getting ready to relaunch a new website and, and some other stuff to relate to how, why it's named Rhino and kind of what we think about that and those types of things. So uh, that's all coming in the next week or so. Um, so that's, that's pretty exciting as well. And uh, I think that's it. I see no and, you know, defund finance and Althena and, you know, all these other types of things that are the kind of the next wave. I think this kind of early 2022 wave of test nets are happening, which is, which is also pretty exciting to see some of these projects moving forward. So uh, that's kind of what's up for me. Um, yeah, Schultz, hit it. Yeah, I go next. Uh, less to do with the, the cosmos itself, but I'm actually really excited about. Um, I'm gonna start playing with Horcrux this next week. Mm -hmm. um, I'm gonna try doing some more like redundancy type uh missions, if you will. Um, and it scares the absolute hell out of me, and so naturally, I'm pretty excited for it. Uh, nice, so that, that's what I'm looking forward to next week. Um, I'm actually on a, yeah, not completely Cosmos thing, but more of on a personal company thing. I'm, I'm excited about, um, our, our company evolving, uh, especially in this lower red period in the, in the token price, like a lot of the heat comes off, um, in terms of like, you know, the fast pacing of things and like, uh, you know, users tend to, um, wane a little bit when the, when the prices are low and that gives us time as a company to work on things like website and also um, our company is working on policies, uh, which I want to be a big part of our um, strategy moving forward. I want people to be able to come to our website, see our strategy um, in our policies and know exactly what we're about. So that'll include things like, um, you know, our token selling policy. Uh, to support our business, our network selection policy, our governance policy, how you can expect that we'll vote um, and what our, um, you know, goals are for governance voting and things like that. So we'll have a dedicated policies page with all of our policies listed out. Um, and I, I really want to see that live, but it's a little bit of work left in that before we can get that out. But um, our new website's almost completed, so I'm, I'm pretty happy to get that out. Um, and thanks. Uh, to uh, our validated friends who pointed me in the right direction to help me get development for that done as well. I look forward to plagiarizing all that content for my own use. <laughs> I, was thinking, I was just thinking exactly the same thing. Like, well, to all great ideas organizationally, I wish we had thought of that. We, we've talked well, about I, it. came I up, right? We, we've talked about this, but I think, I think we all have a pretty similar approach to what's important as an independent validator. And I, I know you're working on it. No, I'd like, I think it'd be good for us to, I want to be able to collaborate with that too. I know it's kind of a personal thing, but also kind of a community thing, but I don't want to be able to produce something that, that follows too much to what you're saying, because I know that we, we agree in terms of how we approach it. Right. So it's kind of a challenge. So to me, I want people to be able to, it's important to have it on the website. It's important that when yes. people go there, they can go and see what you're about. And right. it, it, I think it, it spaces you from like, you know, directionless um at least you can you know what you're going to get when if yeah. you come and stake with king nodes you know you're going to get 
this in governance, you know you're going to get, he's going to be selling at these particular times or in this market condition. You know why. Um, yeah. Those types. Of, I, th- I just think it's important for the delegators to know um, what they're getting into. As, as an aside, somebody asked earlier, and I'm going to put this in the in our notes for Ask Game of Notes for next time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know whether or not it makes validators uncomfortable when community asks them to show their reasoning on particularly like proposals, yeah. but I, I guess like broader anything. And I think this is a good example. And like I say, we'll, we're wrapping up now, so we'll maybe mm-hmm. come back to this in Ask Game of Notes next week. Um, but it is, I, I think, you know, we, we were talking about this in relation to Prop 16 in the past, and we've talked about it on several shows as this kind of, if we're playing around with social consensus here, then one one of the things that I think it probably is important for validators to do is think about these things and present their reasoning. Because, it, you know, like you were saying just then, Usurper, like when one validator presents their reasoning, it tends to be that we then have to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that might be as simple as something which is like policies, which is a good thing for us to be doing, or it could be what happened with Prop 16, where, uh, you know, Schultz wrote a really good write-up and Polkachu wrote a write-up. And, like, you know, a lot of the validators actually wrote up their thoughts and then talked about them. Right. And that was hugely important to people even decide, because there was a point, I think, where we were looking... It, things were looking much more like a really, you know, adversarial situation, a hard fork, something like that. And I think everybody being able to come back and around the table was very, very largely helped by that. Um, people showing their reasoning for any given thing. And I think if you're the validators are necessarily public, right? So part of what we do is have to represent the network that's that's part of why you get paid as a validator right is to be doxed and public and have to share your reasoning to some extent right maybe i think i think ultimately as a validator though like we're motivated by what's best for the network ultimately because yes. the network surviving and and being successful is in our interest right so yeah economically I think, and i guess ideologically like it, of it's course. a strong incentive yeah, I mean, some. I mean, and, and you know, some validated, some validators don't even care, uh, you know, that much about the um, economic incentive over the ideology of a blockchain, and others are more economically um, driven. But regardless of which camp you're in, or a mixture of the both, uh, ultimately, your validator wants the network to survive, and they want it to succeed because it's in their best interest, um, and. I think if I could just say one thing, like as we close out with uh, um, the Juno props that are going on at the moment, mm-hmm. no matter what your opinion, please don't shout it at people. Let the let other people just come to their own conclusion and make their own decision. Um, so I get people like DM me asking me which way I'm going to vote on things and then trying to convince me one way or the other. Like that's not the way to do it. Um, have your own opinion, make your own vote, but let people arrive at their own decisions and don't shout it at them what they should be doing and make them feel obligated to do one thing or the other. Yep. Totally agree. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But then that's also a function of the fact that, you know, you're Australian and Australians don't like being able, don't like being told what to do, right? Yeah, except, you know, if you contrast that with our voting over here we have to vote or we get fined (laughs) (laughs) 
So, but we have anonymous voting here in the, for governance. I'm talking about it with the government, um, federal, and well, all of our elections. If you don't go and make a vote, you get a fine in the mail. So you have to go and vote. Um, 